Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual, the first Meet Me at Mutual at the new Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host, Daniel Shopton, C70 at the bat at C70 on Twitter, Alan Medlock. Still not joining us, still doing the baseball thing. We'll have another month or so without Alan, unfortunately. But joining us today for the first time, making his Meet Me at Mutual debut, Blake Newberry from Viva Alberto. You'll find him on Twitter at BT. Newberry, uh, BT underscore Newberry. Let me make sure that I get that right. Blake, uh, uh, Blake how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Daniel. It's good, good to be here, and it's good to have Cardinals baseball back. Exactly. We've had two games, uh, two very different games, it feels like. I, you know, I, I got to follow opening day, didn't get to watch today, but just looking at the box scores, um, it was, it feels like they, you know, it wasn't necessarily the same team playing both of these, what didn't it? No, it did not. And just, it was funny, like just watching both of the games, it felt like the first game is the one the Cardinals should have won. And the second mm-hmm. game is the one they probably should have gotten killed in. Um, but it, it flipped it. Like just the, the Blue Jays dropping blue pits everywhere in game one was super annoying. Um, but then the Cardinals come back in game two and walk like 12 batters and give up one hit and somehow managed to win four to one. So um, definitely a weird and interesting start to the season, but it's been fun. I, so I think it, what it boils down to is that these rules changes have broken baseball, right? <laughs> now it does not work at all the way we think it's supposed to work. Uh, because you're right, having having those kind of weird hits for the Blue Jays that fell and then the the the, the walks today, uh, you know, you get the opposite reaction. So um, it's very interesting to, to see that. Let's, let's talk a little bit about opening day. And I guess maybe the first thing we need to talk about is the fact that even though he was on the injured list, Adam Wainwright still made the start, uh, being singing the national anthem. That was <laughs> kind of out of nowhere, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was. It was hilarious seeing the te- his teammates' reaction to that. <laughs> um, I definitely wasn't expecting that. And I remember reading a tweet, um, I think it was from Jeff Jones, who said he asked Adam Wainwright if there was anything special going on for opening day, and he just kind of gave him like a side eye and didn't tell him any information. <laughs> Uh, and this is what it turned out to be and it was funny that he even kept that information from his teammates so it was really cool to see him do it and i thought he did a great job yeah yeah he did a a real great job and yeah they're they're looking at him and he starts to move and they're like where are you going you know and uh (laughs) like oh wait a minute uh i I don't know if you saw the tweet of jake woodford who apparently was trying to talk to adam wainwright on the field but wainwright was trying to keep his mouth, you know, lubricated. And so he was saying like at the bare minimum and Woodford thought he was mad at him. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, opening day without uh, Adam Wainwright in general is going to be weird, right? Here in the next couple of years. And I know he'll be back with the red jacket very soon. And I'm sure that, you know, knowing Adam Wainwright, he will be there as many times as possible. But, you know, to have this as kind of one of those final moments with Wainwright on an opening day, uh, it was kind of kind of special, kind of kind of fitting for the kind of player that he's been. 
Yeah, it definitely was. And it was nice to see, like, the injury was unfortunate, but it was nice to see the Cardinals still find a way to keep him involved in it. Um, and I love to see that. It would have been just kind of weird and disappointing to see him just on the bench, not really in the middle of things for his last season. So it was good to yeah. see. Yeah, especially, you know, no Yachty to this year. And, um, you know, to have him out too, it had been very weird. So, yeah, that, that was cool. Um, and then we get to the game, um, and it was not as cool. Um, it was <laughs> – it was about as up and down. I mean, it didn't have the, the stakes on it because it was opening day, but the back and forth was almost like a October matchup or a late September matchup. Right. I mean, you just, you know, one team would give, get ahead and then immediately they get it, you know, give it back. It was, it, except for the ending, it was kind of interesting to watch. Yeah, it was. And I mean, it's interesting because when you're watching that game, like you have all the pregame ceremony stuff and then mm-hmm. Bush Stadium's just packed and it's loud. Like, I know it's only the first game of the season, but and with all that back and forth, it kind of did feel like a playoff game. Um, I know like the entire game, just just watching that lead change, I was engrossed in the game. I didn't want to look away. And I think the game time was like three and a half hours and it did not feel like it was that long to me. Um, but it yeah. was it was thrilling to watch. Um, a Blue Jays fan that I know who here in town, he texted me afterwards and said, you know, that uh, under the old rules, it was, this was like three or four hours after the game. He texted that under the old rules, the game might still be going on. I said, well, that, except for the fact that, you know, with the, uh, with the old shift, it might've had a few more outs too. So um, yeah, it was, I guess it was a, an indication that the, the new rules, the, you know, the, especially with the pitch clock were working. Um, I'm, still not a hundred percent sure I'm sold on that, but it definitely does seem to move the game along it, it and not necessarily move the game along, but does indicate that they're going to play at a better pace, which is, I think a fair criticism of what baseball has come to. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I was a little apprehensive at first, I think about mm-hmm. the pitch clock, um, but I've come to really enjoy it. I think there was a lot of dead time. Um, and I do think overall it'll be good for the game. It is still a little weird to see, um, like batters getting rung up on on strike three for for not stepping into the box in time or like seeing a count start 1-0. Um, I think I was watching the game today and, and the count starts 0-1 against somebody and you see the first pitch slider come in because it just completely mm-hmm. changes everything. Um, but it seems like it doesn't that doesn't happen too often. Um, and I would expect to see kind of the instances of that go down as the season continues. So hopefully it just speeds the game up without really any weird um, side effects. Yeah. And you watch a lot of minor league and we're going to talk minors later on, but you've watched, so this is not completely unfamiliar to you, right? Cause the minors have dealt with this for a few years. Yeah, no, it's not. And I live in Columbus, Ohio. So I got the Columbus mm-hmm. Clippers, the AAA affiliate of the Cleveland guardians. So I go to a lot of those games in the summer. So I was kind of familiar with, with, with what it felt like. Um, but it's different to see it from a seat down like the third baseline versus seeing it on TV. I know, when I was watching the spring training games and there was just this giant clock sitting like to the left of home plate, I'm like, I really just don't like how this looks. Right. Um, but I'm glad that's not how it's going to be and how it, it's not how it has been, at least for the regular season. Yeah. It seems like all the TV people got pretty quickly came up with some sort of unobtrusive graphic to show that. And it's a lot better off than you're right. Was, those first couple of, of spring training games, I spent more time watching the clock than watching the game because it was just there. Um, so now that they hide it like in the base or something like that, it's a lot easier to, to kind of not even pay attention that it's there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. Ironically, the only foul ball I ever caught was in uh, Columbus. Uh, oh, that's sweet. Well, good for you. I caught a foul ball there, so you're ahead of me. 
Yeah, the old the old stadium, I think, and it and it was it was on the bounce, but that is the only foul ball I have. So yeah, long long time ago. That's awesome. Um, so we expected a little bit more from Miles Michaelis than what we saw. Now again, how how hard is it to judge the outing of Miles Michaelis because of of kind of the fluky nature of what was going on? Yeah, I think it is hard to judge it. Um, and I think when we look at it, like it's a one game sample and mm. it was weird to see Miles struggle the way he did in which he was missing his spots and he was struggling to throw strikes at times. And, um, you know, the catcher sets up inside and he's missing outside. That's, that's very unlike him. Um, and part of me wonders, you know, he kind of had a weird spring training with the world baseball classic happening yeah. and him representing team USA. And he didn't really pitch all that much for team USA. So I wonder if almost his rhythm was thrown off a little bit. Um, and that kind of affected him in the first start. So I would expect to see him get better as he gets more into the season. But it, yeah, it definitely was weird to see. You know, so, I mean, this was his second opening day start. The first one did not go well against the Brewers. There's that extra adrenaline and, you know, out of your routine, you're, you know, you've got all the pomp and circumstance, all that kind of stuff. It has to be a little bit hard to get into that kind of rhythm. Right. I mean, and we saw the, the Blue Jays have a very good pitcher in Alex Manoa, who also struggled. And part of that, you know, part of that's we'll we'll give credit to the Cardinal offense. But part of that also is probably just, you know, you're not you're not going out there, you know, making your pitch, your, your eight warm up pitches or whatever and going on. There's so much else going on that it just throws you completely off. Yeah. And I mean, with all that pregame stuff, all the pregame ceremonies, like I wonder if that does throw off his routine of how early he goes to the pen to get warmed up and how much time he has to stretch and if it just throws everything off for him there. So it's always fun seeing um, opening day and then having that Friday off. It almost makes opening day feel like it's the game most made to be overanalyzed uh, (laughs) because it just kind of sits on you for a whole day and you have to wait until Saturday for things to change. Um, So I'm really not concerned about about Michaelis going forward. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know how much you can really read into that one game, especially with just how different it is from the rest of the games he's going to throw this year. Right. Yeah. I mean, after, after that game, you've got, it's a hundred percent of the season. That's all you've got to, to analyze. So uh, now it's 50% and we can look a little bit more about um, what we've seen overall. So overall, take, take the two games, take that huge sample of two games. Yeah. Um, what, what's your, what's your first takeaways about what the 2023 Cardinals look like? The offense is going to be good. Um, that's that's definitely takeaway number one. I mean, I know we've been talking about it all offseason, but this is an offense that was really good last year and then it just added Wilson Contreras. Um, and then it's added Jordan Walker, however good he's going to be this year. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we saw it like with the Cardinals against Alec Manoa. And I mean, we saw it today. They, they scored three runs on, on Gaussman today. And I know all three of those runs were unearned, but I think they had like nine hits on him or eight hits or something. Mm-hmm. Um, in six innings. And I know that's been a criticism of the Cardinals in the past of them kind of struggling to hit those high end top of the rotation starters, but we've just faced two of them, four war, five war pitchers to start the year. And the Cardinals fared really, really well against them. So I think that's definitely takeaway number one. That's going to be a really encouraging sign. And um, this offense is going to kind of lead the way for the team, I think. Yeah. I mean, we still need to see him against a soft tossing lefty, but, um, (laughs) you know, but yeah, I think, I I think that is the truth. I mean, thankfully Wilson Contreras is not out for any length of time. It sounds like he'll be back um, in Sunday's game, uh, if not Monday. Um, So it really feels like up and down this lineup, 
there is always going to be a chance for a Cardinal to come back. I mean, that was part of the thing even yesterday, right? I mean, uh, opening day, they get down. I don't remember. They, were, they get down like three runs or something at one point in time. And it, it still didn't feel like, okay, this game is over. You know, even two, one or two runs late, it's like everybody that comes up to the plate, you almost expect has a chance to, especially in a one-run game, to tie it up. Um, and that's that just really isn't what the Cardinals have had. They've always had, over the last few years, one or two spots in that lineup that just you didn't expect much out of. And that to, to have a one to nine that the way they do, plus, you know, guys like Dylan Carlson on the bench, um, you know, even even if you need a pinch hitting spot later on, you don't feel like that's a problem unless you get down to Andrew Kisner, but that's another story. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I mean, is this, does this rival? I mean, it's hard to know right now, obviously, but is this going to rival like 2004, 2005 with the MB three and that kind of lineup? I mean, I honestly think it'll be, it'll be pretty close. I mean, I, I know I tweeted about it before the game, but if you look at the WRC plus of every hitter in the lineup last year, there's not a single below average hitter. And yeah. that includes Jordan Walker's stats at double A, but the lowest hitter by WRC plus was Tyler O'Neill, who we all know how well he can hit when he's healthy and when he's on his game. Um, so yeah, this is the lineup without any holes and it's a lineup that has power everywhere. I mean, you have Jordan Walker hit, hitting eighth. You have Nolan Gorman hitting like seventh, sixth. I mean, that's that's power at the bottom of the lineup. Um, and it's really like there's not really going to be a spot where a pitcher can just take a breather and say, it's okay if I slip and, and make a bad pitch here because every hitter in the lineup can punish him. Yeah. And, you know, even if they don't punish him for, you know, an extra base hit, just putting another runner on base, you know, then does bring up another guy that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Um so that's good. Yeah. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I don't think we've seen any indication again, two games, who knows, but we haven't seen any indication that, you know, Goldschmidt and Arnauto are necessarily going to be slipping. And um, it, it's very, like I say so much we want to put into these, but it's been, it is, it's a lot of fun. I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like nine runs on opening day. is going to be the high point of the year. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And like, I was thinking about it before the season started as I watched, uh, or as I just looking through the lineup and, and who the guys on this team, I'm like, this is probably one of the teams that I'm most excited to watch in recent memory coming into the season. And it's just because the lineup is so good because I look at the rotation and honestly, it's just kind of boring. Like you kind of just have like middle of the rotation, three starters, control guys everywhere, but it's just all the hitters on this team are going to make it so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it should it should be a lot of fun. Now, we have gone two days, and I know he I think he got into the the game today, but two games at least without Dylan Carlson starting. Um, in fact, yet to have an at bat came in late late in today's game. Are you a little bit surprised at how they're treating? I don't it's, again two days. It's matchups, blah blah blah, but. I'm a little bit surprised given how improved Carlson looked in the spring that they haven't been able to find a spot for him to, to get out there. Yeah, it's definitely surprising. And I mean, I looked at it yesterday. I was surprised he didn't come in or I guess Friday, mm-hmm. Thursday. I was surprised he didn't come in as a defensive replacement late in the game uh, because I would definitely take his glove in the field over Jordan Walker's. And that's nothing against Walker. He's athletic and I think he will be a good outfield in the future. He's just really new to the position. Right. Um, and then even the game on Saturday, just I was surprised with Lars Newbar being out. I assumed Carlson was going to be the fourth outfielder. 
mm-hmm. and they gave the spot to Alec Burleson. And I know Marmol explained it as um, thinking that, that Burleson's kind of a more contact oriented guy, better equipped to handle Kevin Gaussman. But just looking at that, I was curious to see that Dylan Carlson didn't even make the DH spot. Um, he didn't make it in over Jordan Walker. So like part of me that I just wonder how much that, that outfield group is going to change over the course of the year mm-hmm. and how much like is Jordan Walker going to be an everyday starter? Um, Cause I think when this roster was initially um, handed out, I was kind of expecting there to be four outfielders that all kind of just share in the playing time. Yeah. Um, but now I'm kind of curious if Dylan Carlson is going to kind of slide into that more traditional true fourth outfielder role as opposed to a guy who's still going to start a decent chunk of the games. Yeah. I, I And it's, that's hard to see if that's the case, just because like I said, Dylan Carlson, you know, what, two years, three years removed from being the Cardinals top prospect, um, a guy that has done a lot for the organization. And, and he, you know, dealt with some injuries last year, but it, it feels to me, you know, that he and Nolan Gorman may have been the ones that took the, club's off-season plans to heart and actually you know made those improvements and so to see him not necessarily get recognized for that again after a, a good spring I mean I know it wasn't Jordan Walker good maybe but it was still a good spring um I'm just a little bit surprised I was surprised on Thursday yeah that he didn't I thought maybe he would even pinch hit for Walker one of his last time I think maybe his last at bat Walker came up with you know bases loaded or something like that. And, you know, it's like, do you want the rookie in that spot? You know, big, a lot of pressure. Maybe you bring in a, you know, a more veteran guy. They stuck with Walker and I think it panned out, but, you know, I just felt like that's the kind of situation that I would expect to see Dylan Carlson to come in this year, right? A, a, a pinch hit spot, you know, sixth or seventh inning that may turn the game around and then he can stay in the game the rest of the way because of his glove. Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of what I was expecting too. And I know you mentioned that, um, you know, the spring training stats, I think, and I could be wrong, and I think it was pretty close, but I, I believe Dylan Carlson actually had a higher OPS in the spring than Jordan Walker did. Um, and then the organization talked about the, well, all the strikeouts that Dylan Carlson had. Um, and it just kind of feels like it's in a spot where regardless of how well he played, he was going to move to the bench. Um, and I, I, understand the decision if you want to keep Jordan Walker on the roster, but I would like to see Dylan Carlson play more. And I know it's only two games, so it's kind of hard to read into that, but I do think Dylan Carlson, if he's on the bench should be kind of that late game defensive substitution guy, or you need a pinch hitter down the road, or even he could DH in some spots. Um, I just want to see him on the field. I think I was expecting to see him on the field more in the first two games than we did. So Mm -hmm. I'm just hoping that he does still find his way on the field more often going, going down the road here. Yeah, you are right. Carlson had an 841 OPS. Walker had a 791. So, um, and in fact, Carlson was fourth on the team uh, behind, you know, two guys that are regulars and then Mason Wynn, who's playing in Memphis. But, uh, uh, and I want to talk about Mason Wynn later on while you talk about the minors. But, um, so yeah, I, it just, it's weird a little bit. I mean, and, and again, you're right. It's okay. It doesn't match up here. It doesn't match up here. And all of a sudden you're at two, but you know, I think you can be, well, you don't match up here and you don't match up here. And all of a sudden it's a week or two weeks, you know, that you're not getting much of that. Um, You know, and again, I wonder a little bit about, I mean, I know they're going to want Walker to play just about every day, but I wonder if there's not a little bit of, you know, people are here for opening weekend and they want to see Jordan Walker. So we're going to put him out there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not that, not that he doesn't deserve to be out there, but if this was, 
you know, a midweek game in, in June, you know, maybe you're playing Dylan Carlson, but since it's opening weekend with full packed crowds and the new shiny thing, um, they don't want to take Walker out if they don't have to. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, definitely the way that he was hyped up throughout the spring, just from the Cardinals, from the media members, that's not going to be a guy that you're going to bring onto the team and then just have him sit the bench. Um, so like, it makes sense. And I, I, that's been in the back of my head all spring is maybe he's just playing because it's opening weekend and there are a million people in St. Louis. Um, so it'll be curious to see, I'll be curious to see when we get out of opening weekend and, and further into the season, is there going to be more of an even split? Because like that definitely could be what it is. I think Dylan Carlson's too talented to be a fourth outfielder myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was almost, if you look at, if you project his numbers, forward to 600 plate appearances last year. He's about a three-war player, and that includes the wrist injury. So um, I'm curious to see how the Cardinals are going to handle that because he's not going to have any trade value if he sits on the bench. Um, but he's also, if he's going to be the best player on the field, if he's going to be one of the three best outfielders, you also want to play him. So they'll definitely have to balance, you know, the kind of the marketing of Jordan Walker and how much they want him on the field versus how much maybe they want to see Dylan Carlson play too. Yeah. And, and I think you're, I feel like, and I hate that. I hate that. It feels like they're kind of, you know, Dylan Carlson's kind of being lined up for that midseason trade if necessary. Um, but you're right. He's got to play to have some value there. And the Cardinals are not necessarily great at maximizing the value of their players at times. Um, you know, they have been known to sell low at times. And I think back to, you know, not giving Randy or Rosario a fresh shot or, or things of that nature. Um, so I'd like to see him out there and, and hopefully will. And, and unfortunately, and I knock on all sorts of wood, but baseball has a way of solving these kind of problems, right? I think the key will be if somebody goes down with an injury, you know, do they go to Dylan Carlson or do they go to Alec Burleson like we saw today? Uh, and then if I think if Burleson gets the first, you know, first crack at any kind of injury replacement, then that puts the writing on the wall for Dylan Carlson. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I mean, I think it's interesting to kind of go through this Dylan Carlson discourse that we're having and and kind of see what all the options are for him. But I do enjoy at the very least, even if it feels like Dylan Carlson deserves a starting job somewhere and he's not getting it. Last year, the Cardinals fourth outfielder was Corey Dickerson, and he played a lot. <laughs> if yep. somebody gets hurt, we're going to throw in Dylan Carlson in the starting lineup or Alec Burleson, both of which are probably better options than Corey Dickerson. So if anybody gets hurt, they're at least in a good spot. And honestly, there's probably not a huge drop-off in talent unless Tyler O'Neill regains his 2021 form or mm -hmm. Lars Newpard goes and becomes the player that we all think he's going to be. Um, so it's at least nice to have that security back there. But you're right. That's the thing is I wonder if – and I know today Ali Marmol made it sound like it was more of an individual matchup situation as if mm -hmm. they liked Alec Burleson better against Alec Manoa than Dylan Carlson. So that's where it, it gets interesting to me is – how many times do you like Alec Burleson better than Dylan Carlson against right. how many pitchers? Um, what do you like better about Burleson than Carlson? Like if it's Burleson's ability to hit a fastball, then you're probably going to be using Burleson more than Carlson. Hmm. So that's going to be um, where it gets interesting down the road here. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, I, I guess Dylan Carlson should at least be thankful that he's on the roster. Unlike Juan Yepes, who's back in Memphis. So um, that's, that's something maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's better for Juan Yepes to be playing every day than to be sitting on the bench, you know, playing hopefully, you know, once or twice a week. I, you know, I know that's the discussion that they have with sending Mason Wynn down, which makes a lot of sense, right? I, you can't put Mason Wynn on this team right now with 
Tommy Edmond and, and Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman and the people in the middle infield. But, you know, I think there's still some of that same argument with the outfielders. Yeah, there absolutely is. And I mean, in the case of Yepes, like, I think it probably is better for him to be down in Memphis. And I hate saying that because he's, he has nothing left to prove there. Mm-hmm. Like he's earned his spot on the major league roster. He had the best single moment of the playoff, the short playoff campaign right. last year. Like he's an above average major league hitter. He might not be the best defender, but that bat can be in an MOB lineup and be productive. So it's kind of a tough break for him to be in Memphis. But at the end of the day, I think if he's in St. Louis, he's going to have that Taylor Mata role. Who's just going to be the guy who sits on the bench and never gets used. Yeah. Um, so like, it's probably better for him to be down there, but I just, I just wonder how long he's going to be down there. And I mean, even if somebody gets hurt, he's going to come up and there's still really not going to be a spot for him to play. So yeah. I, I truly do wonder how much Juan Yepes we're going to, or how much of a Cardinals career Juan Yepes has left. That, yeah, that's right. Because you're right. I mean, it, then he becomes the the fifth outfielder if he does come up to some degree. And um, that's not necessarily a, a way to get a whole lot of, of playing time. Unless, you know, unless you just, you know, go four for four in your first game with three homers and yeah. make them take you out of the lineup. But that doesn't happen very often. So, um, yeah, it's been... But it's you're right, I, I, and I hate. I almost hate the phrase "good problem to have" because it's still a problem, uh, and it's still something that needs to be solved. But this is a good problem to have. It is the depth all the way, except for a catcher. You know, there's depth all the way into Memphis at pretty much every position on the on the offensive side of things. Um, so, you know, unless you lose one of the MVPs on the corner, which any team loses an MVP candidate like that, it is in trouble. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of, I don't want to say redundancy because that sounds wrong, but there's a lot of people that can step in and and not miss a beat. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's, that's the good thing about it. And I wonder if that's, what's going to be the, the kind of the trade deadline fodder. If the Cardinals go big game hunting for a top of the rotation pitcher is they have the guys to trade. And I mean, even looking forward, obviously it's, it's early to be having this discussion, but what is Mason Wynn doing by the trade deadline? Has yeah. he forced himself into the picture? And what if Mason, like, are they going to do the same thing next year with Mason Wynn that they did with Jordan Walker this year? Is he going to be the guy who goes into camp, excels, gets all the media attention rightfully, and breaks camp with a starting job? Because then who goes to the bench? Is it Tommy Edmond, who's like a 5 war player? Is it Nolan Gorman, your former top prospect, who's a really good hitter? Uh, is it Brendan Donovan? Like, it, it's just, they have that kind of problem, and it's, I could see the same thing happening in the infield next year that's happening in the outfield this year. So I'm going to be curious to see what the Cardinals do with the deadline. If they, one, try to alleviate the outfield logjam, but two, try to get proactive and maybe trade somebody at their highest value this year to prevent the same thing from happening next year. Yeah. And we're not even talking about, you know, the roster issue that's going to be Paul DeYoung. Obviously, he's a different quality of bat, assuming that these swing changes that we've heard so much about don't actually, I mean, I guess in theory, you know, you could get a resurgent Paul DeYoung to at least really good backup shortstop level. I don't know that anybody expects the all-star level that we've seen before, but even just adding him into this mix that we have, at least for this year, and it's not as much for next year, um, complicates the issue as well. Yeah, it does. And I, that's another thing too, is I wonder how much of, of Paul DeYoung are we going to see? Cause mm-hmm. Who knows how long the the stay on his on the injured list is going to be for him? Because it feels like every time he really tried to get back into game action, something got aggravated or something didn't feel right. And if the Cardinals don't really see a spot for him, they could just keep pushing that timeline back. 
Um, and it's, yeah. So the Paul DeYoung situation, I think done after this year, um, and he will be the backup shortstop. I think Taylor Monastro has another option year left. So, um, I don't know if he'll get DFA'd or not, but he can just go down to AAA when DeYoung's healthy. And then mm-hmm. I honestly don't believe a ton in DeYoung's bat, even with the mechanical changes that he supposedly made. Cause I feel like we've heard that every spring training, I'm open-minded to the fact that it could work. Um, but I just, from the results that we've seen in the past few years, I'm skeptical. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he got what, six at bats, seven at bats. It felt like in spring. I mean, it may have been a little bit more of that, but not much um, because of all the injuries. So it's, it was really hard. I mean, he did get a home run, but it was really hard to see if that made some changes. I mean, you, you read the write-ups and you did, I mean, it did sound like he had done a lot more work than he normally did. I mean, he, you know, went to, he did all the things that Matt Carpenter did after Matt Carpenter left and got better. Uh, he, he at least did it with at least some time on his Cardinal contract. But, you know, I mean, if you can't get on the field, then it doesn't matter. And it's still kind of, you're right, kind of iffy on, on how that's going to work. So I don't know. My thought was they were going to put him on the 60-day injured list uh, mm-hmm. to get Jordan Walker on the thing. I was a little bit surprised that they went ahead and, and got rid of uh, Mikowitz um, just because – you know, bullpen's arms are something the Cardinals don't necessarily want to give up when they don't have to. Yeah, I agree. And I kind of am with you. I thought DeYoung was going to go to the 60-day IL because I feel like that's an injury. Even if he wasn't going to be out 60 days, I feel like that's an injury mm-hmm. they probably could milk 60 days. So right. what I think said that probably happened is when he's declared healthy, I would expect a pretty lengthy stint in Memphis, oh, yeah. um, both for him to kind of just get back into game action, but also for him probably just to try to get some swings in and see if there's see how his new swing is going to play and if he needs to make any more tweaks and changes while he's down there before he gets to the major league roster. Um, yeah, I mean, so we'll see how that goes. But it was a little disappointing to see them get rid of Misovich. Um, but it felt like that 40-man roster is is so talented. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want them to get rid of Misovich, but I don't know if I had to choose somebody, if I would have, who else there would've, really would have been to choose. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the difficult part. It was so, um, you know, trying to figure out where that, that cut comes um, because they have done such a good job filling this up. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it would be very, very interesting to see. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, and I definitely, I know I've talked about it um, over at, at Viva Alberto's, but I actually am an Anthony Misovich fan. I think, like, I like the cutter. He's shown a little bit, uh, a few more inches of sweep on that cutter, and that's I think, is going to make it more effective. But, like, again, I just, I don't know where he was going to, when he was going to get a chance with how many lefties are on the roster. And I almost wonder if the Cardinals just kind of pulled a seniority card because he's he's kind of the new guy on the roster. They got him for cash considerations. Um mm. Jojo Romero has at least came in at the deadline. So he's been on there longer and he's shown some swing and miss stuff. So it does hurt to give him up. I think Misovich is probably a pretty decent, like second lefty in the bullpen somewhere. Uh, it's just not going to be in St. Louis. Yeah, there are a lot of, and let's use that time to just transition a little bit to talking about the pitching staff. Um, because we have seen 
we've seen some good performances, but we've seen a lot of uneven performances in the first couple of days. Um, so let's just start again. What's your take on the pitching staff so far? Yeah, I think um, my opinion of it hasn't changed since the season started. Um, like I said, I'm not concerned about Michaelis. The Jordan Hicks thing is weird um, because I honestly think Hicks looked probably as good as I've ever seen him look in the first game. Um, I know everybody wants to talk about the pitch that hurt Wilson Contreras, but Hicks was getting, he threw 70% of his pitches for strikes. He was getting hitters to chase outside the zone. He got a bunch of soft contact. That soft contact just happened to fall. Um, I think it was a little bit of an unlucky performance for him. I had no issues with him after it. I was actually encouraged. He's throwing harder. He has a new look slider, which I think is going to get him more chases and tunnel better off his fastball. So I'm, I was encouraged a lot after that. And then he came out on Saturday and walked three hitters and couldn't find the zone. So I think that's part of the Jordan Hicks experience is that he's, he's inconsistent that outing on Saturday doesn't still doesn't change my view of him. I want to see him over a larger sample um, just with that new slider and, and see how much of an effect it can have on him. But um, definitely a, a rough start for him to the year. And it's also interesting to see Gio Gallegos hurt because that's not something yeah. I expected to see. But then also now as we look at that, that means that Hicks was, was considered the next man up for that Gallegos role, um, which kind of gives you at least a little bit of a layout on how that bullpen hierarchy works. So I wonder how much that's going to change after his first two outings or if, if Marmo's going to keep going back to him and, and give him another shot. Yeah, I think it's probably going to oh, – and the dog's going to go off. So they apparently they are very impressed with Jordan Hicks as well. Um you know, I, I does depend. I think they'll probably continue to give him a little bit more here and there. It depends on what they saw in the outing that they liked or didn't like or whatever, of course. But, I mean, you're right. That is kind of what we've seen out of Jordan Hicks, especially since he came back from injury, right, in the last two or three years. You're going to have the really good outings, but you're going to have these outings where he can't find the strike zone. Um, and, you know, it gets a lot of soft contact, doesn't strike as many guys out as you would expect for a guy that can throw 105. Uh, we, you know, I think that's kind of, we've all kind of talked about that. It's, it's so weird to me to think that, you know, we're in year six of Jordan Hicks. So there's a decent chance. This is the last we're going to see of him this year. Right. I and mean, it just doesn't feel that that should be possible. Yeah. It feels like he's still so young because he came up so early and it doesn't feel like we've, we've had him for six years. Um, so it's actually kind of crazy because I didn't even know that. But I think that really just adds some extra pressure to him to kind of perform this year if he really wants to stay in this organization. And if he just kind of wants to maximize what he can get um, from other teams as well. So I, I don't know. I still have a lot of belief in Jordan Hicks. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like that's definitely a, a thought that could burn me because you <laughs> truly you never know with Jordan Hicks, but I'm also never going to bet against somebody with the arm talent that he has. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, see, even seeing, I mean, we saw it in the spring training, we saw it in this first outing, his velocity is actually up at least early in the season from what it's ever been. Um, and just like, imagine the Jordan Hicks that can throw harder just makes me like, it, it makes me dream about the possibilities. It's just, he needs to kind of find the zone more than he has, but Again, that's always been the story with him. So I'm hoping that that new slider just helps helps um, hitters chase the ball out of the zone a little bit more. But it's not going to matter if he's missing by a mile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got to he's got to have enough movement that it that it gets them to not fail it off. But it has to be enough where you know close enough that they'll swing at it. And that you're right. That's kind of what we've continued to hope that we'll see out of him. And maybe we will. Uh, I don't. Speaking of finding not finding the zone, I guess we probably should talk a little bit about today's starter, who. You know, it's a rare thing that a Cardinal starter has made his first start and has not given up any hits. 
Um, but that is not the story at all for what we saw uh, out of Jack Flaherty today. After his his hype video uh, earlier today, you know, with the Joker as, as his, you know, he likes to have as his avatar, he definitely brought um, some of the chaos today's today's game, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the hype video because I saw that too, and I was I understand him tweeting it out because he wants to bet on himself, and it's, it was a great video. But mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that's going to rub some fans the wrong way if he doesn't recapture his stuff, and I hope it doesn't um, because he's obviously been through a lot with all the injuries. Um, and I you know as Cardinals fans, we don't like seeing him not on the field, and we don't like seeing him not effective. And I'm sure it bothers him way more than it bothers us. So I'm hoping that video doesn't get held against him. But it was like that start was insane to me because seven walks and no runs is crazy. Mm-hmm. But also it felt like he couldn't locate his fastball the whole time, but he was fine locating the slider. And I mean, there was I think he hit somebody on the foot with the slider and and that one got away from him or whatever. But and there were times where he was he was dropping in the first pitch slider there to get to get ahead of the hitter. And then he would lose him with the fastball later on the count, which is just not really what I was expecting to see if for a guy who didn't have his control to really not have it on the pitch he throws most of the time, but then to have it on those secondaries, um, which are generally harder to harder to locate. So it was weird. Um, it's kind of hard to to be encouraged or discouraged from that start because I think he did a great job of battling through the issues that he had. And I mean, I, I hesitate to say that he settled in later in the game, but I think he did pitch better in, in like the fourth and fifth inning than he did in the first inning. And it was nice to see him battle through that and show that resilience. But still, at the same time, you have to address those walks and um, any kind of mechanical issues that he might have had during that start. And his velocity was way down. So that's that's another thing to look at, too. I wonder if he was kind of pitching through a little bit of an injury or if it just got in his head that he couldn't find the zone and he was trying to take a little bit off of it. But I'll be, I'll be curious to see if, if Ollie has anything to say about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, going through Twitter early, later on this afternoon or evening after the game, I had no indications that there was – you know, any injury concerns, but I mean, you don't know. I mean, Adam Wainwright has pitched, you know, numerous times with, you know, declining velocity and turned out to be an injury before anybody ever figured it out. So hopefully not though, because I mean, you know, this is a, such a huge year for Jack Flaherty. Um, you know, this is the, you know, his free agent year, the year that I think that, you know, you, you've got a, you know, no weird stuff in the off season. You've got no COVID stuff. You've got nothing like that. You know, this is kind of what you see is what you get on on Flaherty, I think, right? I mean, this is if whatever he does this year is going to be a little bit more indicative of what pitcher he really is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be. And like you always want to see that second half of 2019 version of Jack Flaherty that was just so dynamic. And in my head, that's always going to be the kind of the ceiling that he can get to. And that's going to be him at his best. And I know that that's always in the tank, but the further away we get from 2019, the further away it feels like we're getting from that being his reality. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see that change, especially because the rest of the pitchers in the rotation just kind of, they are what they are now. Like Miles Michaelis is Miles Michaelis. You generally right. know what he's going to be. He's not going to peak. He already is just kind of where he is. The same thing could be said about Steven Matz. And I like Steven Matz, but he's not going to become an ace. And I mean, Jake Woodford, Adam Wainwright, um, you you can look at all these guys, but Jack Flaherty is really the only one. Jordan Montgomery, I left out, but Jack Flaherty is really the only one who feels like he does have the potential to be like the true headliner of the staff, and that could be a huge boost to the rotation if he can find it. But it, he's really the only pitcher who feels like he could be the one starter or he could be the five starter. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's 
because there isn't anybody else. You're that that ace level pitcher, which is you know the the argument we had all all winter, right? Cardinals need to go out and get an ace level pitcher. Of course, it, maybe it's a good thing they didn't because all those guys are hurt. Um, so uh, there is there is that, um, but still, it, it felt like you want that guy that can be the you know as some of the quotes in Jack's hype video, the guy that can be that number one starter that go out and say. You, you expect to win that day. And, and Flaherty can be that. Uh, we've seen it, but it's just not as consistent. So hopefully we can see a little bit more of that. You know, maybe next time he goes out and throws nine innings and doesn't give up any hits, that would be really cool. Um, but whatever he does, I think this is this is such a big year, a telling year for him. It's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, so those are the only two starters we've seen, Michaelis and um, Flaherty. We've seen a little bit of the bullpen. We've talked about Jordan Hicks. Um, Ryan Helsley, a rough first day, comes back, pitches an inning two-thirds today, um, and, and locks the game down. But is there any concern with Helsley of what you've seen, or is it just maybe opening day jitters? Yeah, I think it's still too early for concern, um, especially just considering how dominant he was last year. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a little weird to see Ryan Helsley come in and not just mow down hitters and just see them flailing at everything. Um, but I'm not super concerned. I think it could just be him getting off to a little bit of a slow start. Could just be opening day jitters. But I still think he's going to be that lockdown closer. And it was nice to see Marmo bring him in into the eighth to get Hicks out of that jam and then mm-hmm. kept him in the game to finish the ninth. And to see, like, he had, he had a, some bumps here and there, but he got through and he did it. So it was nice to see him get that. And I wonder if that almost kind of settles him in a little bit going forward. We have seen last year the Cardinals really managed Helsley to the point that he rarely pitched back-to-back days. Um, I don't expect him to pitch tomorrow, especially after an inning in two-thirds. But do you think we'll see more of that this year of, you know, if he does, you know, pitching the ninth, especially with his, if he's throwing clean ninths, that we see him more on back-to-back days if necessary? Yeah, I do think we'll see that more this year. I think um, the Cardinals will probably still be a little bit cautious with him, but I don't think to the extent of, that they were last year. Like if Hicks comes or if, if Helsley comes in and throws 25, 30 pitches to get through the ninth inning, uh, I don't know if we're going to see him the next day. But if he comes in, he throws a clean ninth, 15, 17 pitches, whatever, I would expect to see him out there the next day. I don't think they're going to go three days in a row, but I do think we'll see him back to back more often. No, that'll be good. I mean, there are other options, of course, you know, especially if Gallegos is healthy. I'm guessing with Gallegos out as part of one of the reasons we've seen uh, a number of people make two two appearances so far, right? We've we, uh, Helsley, Hicks, uh, Palante, and Verhagen. Verhagen is looking pretty good, uh, at least according to the stat line. Of course, I haven't I have yet to to see an actual game yet, but um, looking at the stat line, that's much more in line with the Verhagen they thought they were getting last year. Yeah, and Verhagen has looked good. Um, just from watching the games, the stat lines look good. He's passed the eye test. It's been nice to see. And I know that's also like there were times last year where I was watching Verhagen. I'm like, man, his stuff is really good. And then the next pitch, he would give up a homer. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's hard to tell with him. But I do think from some of the stat cast data that's out there, especially from spring training, um, that he has made some changes. And we've seen Dusty Blake come in and, and kind of rework some pitcher sliders and and Verhagen's been a guy who does have a rework slider. And I mean, if you look at StatCast now, it's actually calling that it's separating out and calling it a sweeper and a cutter. Um, so he has a pitch that moves more vertically and his sweeper, I think four swings got three, three whiffs today that I feel like that's going to be kind of his go-to swing and miss pitch. And um, as long as he can pair that with like a mid nineties fastball and, and he still has that cutter, 
I think he's going to be fine this year. And um, I think he did get a lot of hate last year because he just didn't pitch well. But I don't necessarily think that's indicative of his talent. I do think we'll see a better Verhagen this year. Do you think that he could slide into that 7th, 8th, ninth group, especially if, you know, Hicks still struggles or, or Gallegos goes down for any length of time or something like that? Or is he going to be more of a situational, we need him in the fifth here, we need him in the seventh this day, that kind of thing? So I do think he could slide into the kind of that later game, higher leverage situation. Um, and I know that might have sounded crazy a year ago, but if you look at it now, he's a guy who's been used in both games. Chris Stratton mm-hmm. hasn't been used at all. Packy Naughton, your your patron pitcher, unfortunately, yeah. has not been used at all. Um, so, I mean, we see that he's getting – and both both games have been close. They've been good games. And we, we see him getting that early trust from Marmol. Um, and that makes me think that Marmol and co. like what they've seen from him um, and from the changes that he's made. So I would not be shocked to see him get some some more seventh inning assignments, maybe a little bit later if, if we do have some injuries going down. But I think a lot of that also could depend on how Zach Thompson's pitching because – he was actually warming up in the game today, I think, when the Cardinals went to um, Helsley, maybe? It was late in the game, mm-hmm. um, and they had Thompson warming up. And if, if he can be the kind of the, the shutdown guy that he was last year, then I think he could also push into those late, later game situations. So I do think this is a bullpen that has the potential to be really, really good. Um, but you all honestly never know with bullpens. But, yeah, I would yeah. not be shocked to see Verhagen getting some higher leverage assignments this year. So I think we, we came into this season – thinking the Cardinals were going to need to score a lot of runs to support the starting staff, but if they got a lead, they'd be able to hold it. And so far, yeah, opening day being a little bit different, but I don't think we've seen anything that changes that schedule. You know, if the, if the starter can keep you at a game, you're probably going to win it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, we look at Helsley, one of the best relievers in baseball last year. Giovanni Gallegos has been one of the most consistently good relievers for the, since the Cardinals got him from the Yankees. Um, and if Jordan Hicks can maybe throw some more strikes, he could be another good good pitcher. And I mean, we've seen Verhagen, Zach Thompson's a good lefty. Like, I do think this is a bullpen that that's going to be mostly pretty pretty safe at, at holding leads late into the game and, and shutting the game down. So, again, your bailiwick to some degree is the minors. Um, I know Kyle Reese has been very. Uh, talked about you and, and Kareem being the next generation of, of prospect guys. Um, when you look at the rosters right now, Memphis, Springfield, Peoria, Palm Beach, which one are you most excited about? So I don't know if they've released the rosters outside of Memphis yet. Yeah, that's um, fair. I, which is which is sad because I've actually, that's, that's kind of a day I've been counting down for. I'm really excited to see what they are. <laughs> Um, I will say the Memphis line, the Memphis roster, I like a lot. I think it's going to be really good. Um, but it's also a lot of, I don't know, I don't necessarily think they're, it's more like it is what it is. Like you, we know Mason Wynn is a, is a stud mm-hmm. prospect and it's going to be fun to watch him. We know to an extent who Luke and Baker is. He's this big hulking first baseman, hits the ball hard. The pitching staff, like we we mostly know who the guys are. It actually looks like it's going to be a really good pitching staff. I think I'm I'm really excited to see those guys kind of, in the mid levels of the minors, I know like a guy like Leonardo Bernal, I want to see what he can do this year. And, um, or a guy like Tink Hentz, um, guys like that. So kind of the high A double A group, I think could be really intriguing this year. Who do you think makes that name? I mean, we, we all know Jordan Walker. We've known Mason Wynn. Tink Hentz, obviously, I think a lot of people had a, a good idea of Tink Hentz, uh, you know, at least not, maybe not casual fans, but, 
fans that were watching the game knew about Tinkins even before his really good outing in spring. What kind of person are you looking at to make that kind of jump, to get into that consciousness of not just you and the, the real prospect hounds, but the ones that are you know on Twitter all the time that start to finally get these names? Yeah, so I don't know how, how uh, well-known of a name Leonardo Bernal is, but mm-hmm. 18-year-old catcher, just killed it um, in single A this year, or last year, I guess. Um, when you see a guy having that kind of success at that kind of age who's a catcher, I immediately think that's a guy who can jump up boards. So if if he's having a good year again this year, I would not be shocked to see his name in the top 100 prospects from like Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, national publications like that. So I do think that's a guy who could get a lot, a lot of attention. And then also Cooper Jerpy, the first round pick from mm-hmm. last year, really funky low arm slot. He's got a, a really, he's got a fastball that's, the velocity isn't overwhelming. He's 90 to 92. Maybe he can add a few more ticks, but it's really the shape of that fastball. It's, it's really flat. It doesn't drop as much as the hitter thinks it's going to. It still has some run despite that. So a pitch that kind of has the amount of ride and the amount of run it has is is really rare. Um, and then he also has that slider and the changeup to go with it. So I honestly don't see a ton of reliever risk with him. I think he's a guy who could fly through the system and be a really good starting prospect here um, that, that a lot of people are going to be talking about come the end of the season. I know in spring there was a lot of people that were looking. Occasionally he would be on the the roster to play a game, but I don't think he even got into a major league game. Obviously he got into the, the minor leagues on the backfield, stuff like that. Were you a little bit surprised at that, that you didn't, they didn't at least try him out a couple times against more advanced hitters? Yeah, I was surprised by that. I was also a little disappointed, a little annoyed by that. I mean, I really wanted to see Jerpy pitching games and the Cardinals were just kind of teasing me, throwing them there on that roster and then not bringing them in. Um, but I, I do, I do think, I did think that they were going to test him out against some of those guys. And I mean, we saw like Bryson Motts, the, the next pitcher taken from that class. He got an inning at the end of spring. Um, I would have expected to see that kind of jerpy because I think that was the first time I'd seen Motts' name on the, on the roster. So I don't know what, what the thinking was behind that. Um, but yeah, that was definitely surprising to me. I really wanted to get some stat cast data and see how he looked against, um, some spring training hitters, but. Um, at least, you know, minor league TV is included in the, the MLB TV package, which is how I have to watch the Cardinals. So at least I'll be able to watch some Cooper Jerpy starts this year. That, that, that is fair. Now, you, you mentioned Brindall makes me think about catchers. And I've, it's a situation when I've talked to a couple of people this, this offseason. But what do you think the future is for Yvonne Herrera with Contreras, you know, five year contract? Um, you know, is it a situation where he's going to be the backup by the, you know, at some point in time this year, if they, if they let go of Kisner or is his future more somewhere else? I think he's going to be the backup next year. Um, I, for some reason to me, and this could be completely wrong, but to me, it feels like the Cardinals just like Andrew Kisner. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they're going to give him a chance. Now, if Contreras goes down, like if he doesn't just, you know, take a a pitch off the knee and is, is mostly fine. If he goes down for a month, then we might see some of on Herrera and, Part of me thinks that that's why the Cardinals didn't go out and get a better backup catcher, despite knowing that that was a need, is um, the idea of trying out Herrera for a longer period of time if Contreras does go down. But I think he's he's better off being in Memphis for most of this year. I mean, I know I've talked about it in some places, but he changed his swing probably three or four times last year. Just mm-hmm. going back and watching the video, he was tweaking where he had his hands, the height, the height of his hands, you know, how far his hands away were or how far away from his body, his hands were, how big his stride was. Um, and that he, that kept going even into winter ball this year. So I would like to see him just kind of figure out wh- what he wants his swing to feel like in AAA, as opposed to trying to fix his swing and learn how to hit major league pitch at the same time. 
So I still think he has a really bright future. I mean, he came in maybe a little prospect fatigue going on with him since he really became a name really early. But it's easy to forget that he was an above average hitter in Memphis last year. Um, so I still think he has a future in this organization. And I think going forward as Wilson Contreras gets a little bit older, um, I think we'll see Herrera move from more of a backup role, replacing Kisner since, um, to maybe cutting into Contreras' playing time a little bit, 60-40, kind of seeing him on the field a little bit more. I do want to maybe get a little bit into more about Mason Wynn because apparently for some reason, I, just watching the kid this year, he's Mason Wynn is now like my favorite non non yeah. major league Cardinal, I guess is what you say. Um, there's just something about him. I mean, obviously the bat was better than we expected, but just the whole overall package just for the first time, really getting to see it. And I know you've, you've had a chance to see him more than I have. Um, there is, there is, if you told me he was a major leaguer, I'd believe it. Yeah, me too. And I mean, that's the impression I got from watching him in the spring is, I mean, you can, you can scout the stat line and see that he was an exactly league average hitter in double A and maybe temper your expectations when he comes into spring training. And then he just killed it. And I mean, he is so much fun to watch. And even when you watch him, like what stands out is, is the arm that can whip a hundred mile an hour fastball to a first baseman. And um, the fielding ability, he made some super athletic plays. He made some really good turns, um, just turning double plays. Like everything about him stood out and even his contact ability. And really the one thing, if you look at a scouting report on him, it's going to say he has below average power. And in the spring, that wasn't the case. He was hitting balls hard. He was barreling them up. He had a lot of batted balls over hundred miles per hour. Um, that top end exit velocity might not be there, but he can still hit the ball hard. And if he can come into more power, He's he's the total package as a prospect because he has that speed, the athleticism. He can be an elite defender, an elite base runner. He can make contact. So if he can hit the ball hard, then he's he's really going to be something to watch. Yeah, and then he's what he's had three or four already over 100 miles per hour in just a couple of games down in Memphis, and yeah, I think that just kind of indicates that. I mean, again, it's early, and you, you you never know, but it just to me it indicates that that wasn't a fluke, right? That he didn't just, because he, he started so many games with Paul DeYoung, he faced major league pitching. It wasn't like he was, you know, piling up on the double the A guys that are at the end of a game. He faced quality pitching all the way through and, and held his own. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's really what stood out to me is, is the fact that he, it, you're right, he's not just kind of mopping up against single A guys in the eighth inning of a spring training game. He's starting games against legitimate MLB starters and he's getting hits off of them and he's hitting the ball hard off of them. And that's a question that, that Mason Wynn really answered for me because I think of, of all the players that I watched in spring training, the two that changed my opinions of them the most were Mason Wynn and Matthew Liberator. And mm -hmm. Wynn with the power, like I already thought really well, really highly of Mason Wynn, but he just like just shot my, my impression of him to the moon with, with how well he played. Um, and honestly, of, of all the prospects in the minors, like he's the one I'm, I'm most excited for seeing next in the majors. So how does that work, do you think? I mean, again, I don't know when they'll bring him up because not only do we have the 40-man roster issue that we've talked about before, but you've got that clog in the, in the middle infield. But when he's ready, I mean, it's not like Tommy Edmonds close to, you know, free agency. It's not like Brendan Donovan's going anywhere. And I mean, again, baseball finds way, blah, 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 blah. But if, if all things being equal right now, you know, if Mason wins ready next year, how do they solve that problem? 
Yeah, I have no idea. And even looking at the outfield situation this year with Jordan Walker going into spring training, I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, Jordan Walker's amazing. I have no idea how they're going to figure that out. And the way they did was by calling him up to the starting to the to the roster and starting them every day and and bumping the legitimate starting outfielder to the bench. So mm-hmm. I the Cardinals have shown that they're willing to do that, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him do it next year. But um, part of me also just wonders how much they're going to clear up the outfield picture. Um, because if they're going to keep a guy like Tommy Edmond, you want him starting. You also want right. Brendan Donovan starting. You're mm-hmm. also going to want Mason Wynn starting if he's up. Nolan Gorman is, he was a top prospect. He had an issue with high fastballs. If he's fixed that, then you're going to want him starting too. So I almost wonder um, how much maybe, or how willing the Cardinals would maybe be to put a guy like a Tommy Edmond or a Brendan Donovan as kind of that super utility Ben Zobers type player who does occasionally take games into the outfield um, mm-hmm. just to get him into the lineup. So I do think the Cardinals are going to have to get rid of it, one infielder um, and definitely one outfielder before that. Uh, and I do think those are connected with with Donovan's ability to play in the outfield. So it, it'll be interesting. I don't know who those players are going to be. Um, if the Cardinals think that Tommy Edmonds' value comes from him being a shortstop, then maybe it's Tommy Edmonds going out. Because if his bat isn't that good and he's going to lose value playing second base, Maybe it's better to keep Donovan at second and then put Mason win it short. I don't know what that's what that's going to look like, but um, I'm not really going to be shocked. I think all of those guys, for lack of a better term, and this is going to put it terribly, but I think they're all kind of on the chopping block because mm-hmm. they're all great players, but but somebody's got to go if Mason Wynn's going to be starting. I mean, you would think so. You would think so. I know that the Cardinals have had these kind of backlogs before, and we've said they've got to trade. They've got to trade out of this. You know, they've got to trade out of this outfield depth. They got to do something because they're just not going to have room. And somehow they don't do it and they still manage somehow. I, I, I don't know. But yeah, you look at the quality and again, the young, the young talent that's, that's there. It's hard to imagine that they can't do, they can't just stay still. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's one of the things I think the Cardinals aren't always the best at asset management. I think they are more willing to just load up all of their talented prospects and all of their talented starters just onto the roster and just hope that everything can, kind of falls into place and that they all get playing time. Um, and I don't, I think maybe they're just a little too risk averse sometimes in making trades. Um, and I would love to see them just be more willing to be proactive and to take that step when a player still has value as opposed to sitting them on the bench and then realizing that it's not going to work and then making the trade later. And obviously that can get you into situations like Randy or Rosarena did, um, or if a player gets hurt and then you don't have a suitable backup. But I think the Cardinals have enough depth that at least that solution about not having a suitable backup, they have guys who can who can fill in even if somebody does get hurt. So I would love to see them be willing to take that risk of trading the player that they know is good or trading the prospect even if if they know he's not going to have a place to play. Yeah, it, it really does feels like the Cardinals do not have the excuse at the trade deadline this year of the prices were too high um, because they have a lot of quality. And yeah, you might be selling a little bit low on a, on an outfielder or something like that, but you know, you still, you still make that move, you know, or, or you know, or, or something of that nature. Um, you might have to add two of these players instead of one, but you've got them to do. So it really does feel like something's going to happen, especially if Mason Wynn starts off strong and, you know, and Jude is, is showing that he can, AAA has nothing for him. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, even like thinking about the trade deadline, it's to the point where like another Jordan Montgomery isn't really going to do that much for this team. Mm-hmm. Unless the starting rotation gets like three injuries, they're not going to need another mid-rotation starter to come in. 
that's that's not going to change anything because he's just going to be displacing another mid rotation starter. So they they're going to need somebody who can come in and really raise the ceiling of that rotation. And that's going to the only way they're going to get that is if they're willing to trade some of their guys who are kind of cramped for playing time. Yeah. So another week, the Cardinals have you know one more game with the Blue Jays, and they've got the Braves before going on the road next week. I think to Milwaukee. What are you looking for uh, as the next this next full first full week of games gets going? Uh, I'm looking for normal baseball first, not <laughs> one where there's like a bajillion blue hits and not one where we walk like every hit of the lineup twice. Um, but I'm also looking for them just like to settle in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see, you know, like Steven Matz come in and he was hurt last year. I would love to see him make a start where he can go like six strong innings. Um, I would love to see this lineup just stay hot. And I would really love to see this lineup get kind of changed around. Not, not necessarily the lineup, but who's starting. I want to see Dylan Carlson in the lineup a little bit more. Um, I want to see some of these guys filter in through DH. Like Alec Burleson can take that lefty DH spot sometimes, especially if we're going to have a guy who's going to be bringing like a high heat fastball up in the zone. I would put Alec Burleson in the lineup over Nolan Gorman like that. So I would love to see Marmol use the bench depth that he has a little bit more. Um, and I do think this is going to be a tough stretch because you're right. It's, it's Braves, the Brewers, and then I think it's Colorado, but at Coors yeah. Field, which is yeah. tough. Um, so I would love to see the Cardinals and at least come out with a winning record. And I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but with the difficulty of the opponents they're going to be playing, just I think a, a, just a solid winning record right now before they go into a little bit of a weaker stretch in the line in the in the schedule could really make a difference. Yeah, also be interesting to see them get this this time of year so hard for players, I would think to get into that routine, right? They, they have a, yeah. they have a day game on Thursday. They have a day off. They have two games, you know, in the daytime, then they get two night games and they have a, another day game and they have a day off. And then, you know, they just don't have that stretch of, you know, like a week of night games that they're playing it all at the same time. So um, hopefully that kind of normalcy will start to come and, you know, they'll find their footing. Cause I want to say, I'd have to look back, but I want to say even the 2004 team was struggled in like April. And then, you know, in fact, I want to say yeah. maybe it was even all the way till June. They were just, you know, around 500 a little bit more before they really kicked it into gear. Um, and I could see that being this team, too, just kind of finding its footing um, and, you know, winning some slugfests, losing some games they should have won, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, come, you know, June or something, everything just finally comes together and they put up to, oh, quite a run. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're all right about that um, 04 team. But I think honestly, the most like the group that really seems to settle in the most is is the pitching staff. I and mean, we saw mm-hmm. with Jack Clarity, we've seen it with Jordan Hicks, we've seen it with Ryan Helsley a little bit. Gallegos is hurt. I don't honestly, I don't even know who they're going to pitch tomorrow on Sunday. If if Hicks is thrown twice, if Rahagan's thrown twice, if Helsley's thrown twice, it's going to be like Stratton and Packy Naughton going the distance. Um, but I would love to just see that that pitching staff just settle in, just kind of find their groove and get comfortable. Yep, hopefully they will. Blake, it's been fun. Um, enjoy you uh, being with us, and thanks for taking the time this evening. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yep. Um, next week, uh, we've had a great run of guests. We've had a great run of guests since the beginning of the year, starting with Jeff Jones running all the way through through Blake here. Um, Alan's still not ready to come back. Still, still working on the the, the college thing, but or the high school thing. But um, we're gonna go ahead and maybe get a little normalcy of our own here. Alex Carissafulli is going to fill in for the next month or so uh, for the most part. Uh, looking forward to having a few weeks with Alex um, as we talk about this Cardinal team and, and hopefully a whole lot more wins. But until next time, for Blake, I'm Daniel. Good night.
And the home.